Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 387 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeBoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.hippiewitch.com joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on blog talk radio where you will also find a link to today's extra magical guest lon milo duquette this interview is a huge honor for me and i have a feeling you're all really gonna love it I've been playing around with something that I would really like your feedback on too. Do you enjoy me doing like a personal update and a rambly talk before these interviews or do you just want me to hop right into them? I really love Joanna Penn's podcast, The Creative Pen, and I have found that my favorite part of that podcast is when She's doing her personal updates before the interviews start. So I'm playing around with that, although it got a little long. I got a little carried away (laughs) with the episode that I did with Gabriella Herstic because I don't typically talk about cannabis here on the show. And I just wanted to give you my... For those of you who regularly listen to the podcast, I wanted to give you my personal take on it and why I think it's an important subject so that I just wasn't hitting you out of left field with that. But I really love that interview, too. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I have to take a moment, too, to thank the very, very nice people who are helping me inch my way forward to my goal of paying my rent and my health insurance entirely through the Patreon platform. That is my my current freedom goal. And so I have to specifically thank new patrons here by name because I appreciate you all so much. So thank you, Ashley Sowers, Shay, Lisa Ann, Rebecca Garcia, and Monica. Yay! And if you join us on Patreon... Be sure, too, to sign up for the Discord app if you actually want to hang out with real people, hippie witchy kind of people in real time because Patreon and Discord link up and we have been having these weekday 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, just little coffee chats in the morning, just a few of us, and I really love it. I've been doing, I guess this is kind of weird, But it's working for me. I've been doing this weekday morning power hour of social media. And my goal is to get off all social media by 9 a.m. I will sometimes pop in like in the afternoon if I'm eating my lunch or taking a break just to see what's going on or to make some random comment on Twitter. I might check in at the end of the day if I'm watching like America's Funniest Videos with my kid. But the goal is to be off by 9 a.m. Sometimes I get started early, too. It depends on what time my kid's cab picks him up in the morning. But I do Twitter, 
Instagram and Discord all at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very manic and chaotic, but I kind of love it. I adore Twitter, as I think you know by now. And now I am 25, 26, 27, 28. Somewhere in the upper 20s of doing a daily post on Instagram. I avoided Instagram for a really long time. I just kind of dropped off 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 the face of the Instagram planet for a while. And when the new year came around, I realized I was sad about that because what I used to love about Instagram was looking back at the year and all these pictures with my kid and my cats and my home and my life. It's it's kind of a scrapbook. So, I posted like a bunch of pictures at the new year. And then I was kind of hit or miss with it for a while until I got this idea. I'm just going to post one photo. It's like a, a photo challenge. One photo every morning, get in and out, and then be done with it for the day. So I don't feel any like social media pressure. <laughs> but I also just get to do that photo a day, which really forces you, if you're a creative person or you just like taking pictures of all the things, it really forces you to be discerning, which I think will be even cooler looking back because those will be like the most important things that I wanted to share from this year. And important maybe is not the right word because I take pictures of flowers and bugs, <laughs> my coffee, whatever. So there is that. And there is also this ongoing challenge I've been having this year in rebuilding my faith. I've been talking about my, my faith story this year, so to speak. My word of the year is leap. And I was kind of I thinking leap year. I don't know why, you know, the word of the year being leap. It's my leap year. <laughs> but I was thinking about like leaping forward and taking risks. And when I chose it, I wasn't really thinking about the word faith. But then, of course, like that soon followed. And I've really been grappling with being able to not only take a leap of faith, which is what I was thinking, like leaping forward and taking risks and jumping into the unknown, but also just my faith, my faith in the universe, the faith in like, does the universe actually have my back? And I've been sharing that story here with you all. It's interesting how much it has to do with my home because my landlord may be selling our home. We got another letter from him suggesting that this most definitely probably is going to be happening and Tanner and I may be losing our home because I, I won't get into the details of it, but somebody else might be moving in here. This is very confrontational because I love my home. I'm, I'm super attached to it, but also when I do a search on the internet of homes, houses for rent, under $2,500 in my area. There are zero homes for $2,500 in my area, in the areas that I like. In the neighborhoods I don't really like so much, you can get something, but it probably won't have an outdoor space and it'll be about half the size of what we live in right now. So <laughs> I kinda, I'm trying not to freak out about that because I want to freak out about it and so I have to make the effort not to freak out about it and to live in the vortex so to speak and to stay positive and so I've had some moments of like feeling very full of faith 
like this is going to work out this is going to work it's going to be an upgrade and we are going to be guided to the perfect home whether it's getting to stay in this home with a new landlord or a home that's even better for us that we never even could have imagined in those moments i feel very high on life and courageous and bold and full of faith and then other times it just all comes crumbling down <laughs> so <laughs> like if i dare look sometimes i'm in the mood i'm like oh let's see what's for rent in highland park and then i'm like oh my lord there's nothing for rent in highland park for under 2500 dollars a month a house a two-bedroom one-bath house with a little yard please can we get that please <laughs> So it's an effort. There are two Alan Watts quotes that have been giving me life around this. And and actually, Lon Milo Duquette, who is the guest coming up here, very good interview. Please stick around for that. He gives me a little bit of an Alan Watts vibe. And I, and I think you're going to love him if you've never actually heard him in an interview. If you love magic, you probably know who he is. But he is such a joyful Dude, which I think is the point of walking these spiritual paths to get to a place where we're free and we actually enjoy our lives. And Alan Watts spoke a lot about that. And there's this quote about change because change is in the air. I cannot seem to avoid it. And it looks like all the changes that I instigated in my own life and trying to create a shift in my business and in my personal life, it seems the universe is answering that back by rearranging my life. And so the trick is to not freak out about that and to go with the flow of the rearranging, even though it feels like a lot of confrontational change. I, I keep reminding myself, I started this. I started this when I wanted to change the structures of my business and slowly, slowly, slowly start transitioning into having a platform that could support being an author of witchy fiction and to create more financial freedom without having to work as hard as I do. I started launching these changes. And then what did I do? I think I blocked the flow by resisting the changes that I did not expect, the changes that I was not in control of. So this quote is really helpful for me. Alan Watts said, the only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it, and join the dance, which anybody who has practiced martial arts, you know that, right? If somebody hits you, you don't lean into the hit and try to like resist the punch with your face. You go with the flow of it. And in that way, you diminish the impact and maybe you create a beautiful dance in the process. He also said of faith specifically, to have faith is to trust yourself to the water. When you swim, you don't grab hold of the water because if you do, you will sink and drown. Instead, you relax and float. I'm really loving this idea of life as play, floating. What would it be like if it was easy? I find this whole idea of Abraham Hicks and the vortex to be right on. I know it sounds very woo-woo, goofy, new agey to talk about living in the vortex, but I'm telling you, when I'm in that space, when I feel very free, like I'm following my bliss and happy and life is a game and I'm having fun playing it, 
I always see more opportunities than I would otherwise. Where otherwise I would see challenges, I see opportunities. I'm far more productive. I'm far more creative. And that's about as happy as I can be, by the way, being super productive and creative while I'm having fun. Like, that's just the best. Plus, I'm a nicer person on top of it. So there's that. And then lastly, before I get talking about Lon Milo Duquette, I just like to say his whole name like that because it's awesome. There's a poem that I found by a poet named John O. Donahue. I don't know his work. I just found this one day and I really loved it and printed it out and I thought I would read it to you all because it's very much in keeping with the subject of the year for me anyway. And I know often that when you connect with people like we do here through the podcast, if something's really speaking to me, there's a good chance it might speak to you as well. So here is what he said. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety, and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plentitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire awaken your spirit to adventure hold nothing back learn to find ease in risk soon you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses the world that awaits you i love that i'm not even gonna break it down because I, I, I have faith. I have faith in your ability to break it down for yourself. Break it down. Break it down. <laughs> We're talking about faith so much in 2019, which I did not plan, but there you are. And again, going back to this idea of playfulness, let us discuss Lon Milo Duquette, the career of Lon Milo Duquette, which he says in the upcoming interview was not premeditated. He is just a guy that follows his bliss. You may know him from any number of popular books on the occult that he has written. He wrote Understanding Aleister Crowley's Thoth Tarot, that is a really popular book for anybody that is a tarot nerd who, if you've always wanted to learn about the Thoth Tarot, I have a feeling that's the book that you might want to pick up. He writes about the Kabbalah. He has a book called The Chicken Kabbalah of Rabbi Lamed Ben Clifford, Dilettante's Guide to What You Do and Do Not Need to Know About Becoming a Kabbalist. So he teaches these intimidating occult ideas with a lot of humor and that is something i appreciate he has a book called the book of ordinary oracles use pocket change popsicle sticks a tv remote this book and more to predict the future and answer your questions i love that because on discord 
Phoebe, Phoebe Miller, our very own Phoebe Miller, has been leading a book club, and you all have been talking about Robert Moss's book, Sidewalk Oracles, and I have a feeling this book I might have to get as a companion to Sidewalk Oracles, because just based on the title, it seems like it might... They might go really well together. He has a book called Homemade Magic, The Musings and Mischief of a Do-It-Yourself Mage. I definitely want to check that book out. I'm only telling you a few titles right now. He's written many, many books. <laughs> I want to read his biography, My Life with Spirits. And I definitely have had in my cart for way too long and should probably just hit by it now the book Low Magic. It's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. So something you might not know about Lon is in the 70s, he had he had a record deal with Epic Records. He and musician Charlie D. Harris had a deal with Epic Records, and they performed as Charlie D. and Milo. And in recent years, he's been performing and recording as a solo artist, and that's partly how this interview came to be, because I am a big fan of his song, I Am Babylon. I love it. I'm Babylon. My favorite lyric is this. I eat too much, I drink too much, a greedy, selfish, such and such. But when I wrap my turban on, my mind is clear. I'm Babylon. I'm going to play that at the end of this episode, so you better stick around because it's really fun. His music just makes me happy. Talking to him make, made me happy. Uh, I cut and pasted this little teeny thing from Wikipedia to read to you because this just to me... It sounds so intimidating, and I think it's in sharp contrast to, to the joyful, playful spirit that he actually is. But this is what Wikipedia says. Since 1975, Duquette has been a national and international governing officer of Ordo Templi Orientis, a religious and fraternal organization founded in the early part of the 20th century. Since 1996, he has been OTO's United States Deputy Grand Master. He is also an Archbishop and Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica. Oh, excuse me, of Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica, the ecclesiastical arm of OTO and the longest living member of the OTO after the death of Phyllis Seckler. So <laughs> it sounds so highfalutin, but he's not. He's so down to earth. And a tarot deck that he created with his wife of 51 years. Yes, he married his, his high school sweetheart, and they're still together. Another thing to love about Lon Milo Duquette, they created a tarot deck together called the Tarot of Ceremonial Magic. And it is being re-released in a couple of weeks. So we talk about that as well. And without any further ado, <laughs> here's the interview. Hi, Lon. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Well, thank you. I'm probably the oldest hippie you've had on your show. I maybe a real hippie, yes. I mean you lived yeah. through you lived through the sixties. That's that's right. And we did all the hippie things and we tuned in and turned on and dropped out and and uh, moved up to uh, Southern Oregon, and we're, we're hippies living by the river, and uh, uh, did all the hippie things. I love it. I, I'm definitely a wannabe hippie. I'm very intrigued by that time, but I, I use it in a tongue-in-cheek way. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, 
I did not expect to have you on the show. This is so cool because I had reached out about a song of yours called I'm Babylon and just asked if I could play the song on the show. And I was like, also, I would love to interview you sometime. And you're like, yes, let's do it. And here we are. You're such a, a fun, easygoing guy. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm just a shameless self-promoter. Honestly, I've known who you are for a very long time because I love magic and so many of my friends love your work. But I am personally new to reading it. And I'm almost done with Accidental Christ right now. And it came through a friend of mine on Twitter, Diana. I, I talk a lot about Jesus here on the show. I'm a witch who grew up Mennonite brethren and my parents are missionaries so I spent a lot of time wrapping my head around or trying to wrap my head around around what is Jesus was Jesus a man all this stuff so we were talking about that and she mentioned your book she said check out Juan Milo Duquette's fictional novel Accidental Christ as told by his uncle and then I was buying it and reading it before I knew what happened to me and I love it oh good yeah, it's one of my favorite, favorite projects and uh, probably one of the least read. <laughs> well, we're changing that today, although I have to say it, it was out of print when I looked for it. So I had to pay a little bit extra, but I was so intrigued. I was like, I don't care. I Sometimes I just I'm a book nerd. I will never get to the end of the list of books I want to read. But sometimes I just get a feeling this book is for me and I'll just get it regardless. And that's what happened. And I was right. A beautiful hardbound edition, too. I was really uh, pleased with the publisher's work on that. It's nice hardbound. And, uh, it's beautiful, yes. Yeah. It has maps and, and uh, original artwork done by uh, a Japanese sumi, 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 I think, type uh, style for the for the artwork. And so yeah, it was a nice project. Mm, it's really interesting. I'm wondering, I love here, I have this marked in the beginning because I think this is really interesting. You write before the book even starts. I think it's safe to predict that fundamentalist Christians will find accidental Christ offensive and blasphemous. I did not, however, write it in order to offend anyone. I assure you that had it been my goal merely to be offensive, I could have done a much, much better job of it than accidental Christ and probably would have had a lot more fun doing it. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what is your relationship to Christ? Because when I think of you, I think of Aleister Crowley, I think of Tarot. I want to talk about all those things, but we might as well just start with Jesus, because what the heck? Oh, well, I admired Jesus very, very much. I think he'd be very disappointed in Christians. Is the, uh, I, I think uh, he has very little, the, the idea of the level of consciousness that, that uh, whoever the historical character was that they based the, the Christ mythos around, was a great yogi, a great teacher, a great master, and uh, he deserved to have a, a group of followers uh, in the same way that uh, Eastern mystics, illuminated masters, uh, deserve to have disciples and, and chilas and, and a program of uh, spiritual practices that are, that are aimed at getting you to the same level of consciousness he is or she is. And um, so I think that's that's pretty much what what was going on there in the first century. And it only took about, oh, 45, maybe 50 years after uh, 
his death or disappearance for the whole thing to be turned 180 degrees around and by this character, Paul. And uh, I really ought to write a book about Paul. Can we call it Let's Blame Paul? Let's Blame Paul. Well, I can... Paul can really take a lot of it because that's who who turned it around. And uh, so the the thing that, oddly enough, the thing that Aleister Crowley was the centerpiece of of his uh, uh, philosophy and magical system was totally compatible with uh, what I think the great masters of every religion were were, uh, you know, we're all hard hardwired basically the same way, and when when circumstances conspire to make you expand your consciousness to to these universal uh, and cosmic levels, uh, everybody pretty much gets the same revelation. There's only just sort of the the cosmos. Ask any quantum physicist: the cosmos is is, is an aspect of consciousness. And uh, each of us are sort of like uh, radio sets of, of consciousness, and it, and it, and uh, some of us are fine tuned, and some of some of us are are not fine tuned. And the more fine tuned you get, the more universal your your revelations become. And so the what the personage the, around which the Christian myth formulated, uh, obviously. Had had achieved a uh, significantly high level of consciousness, and and was was brave enough and uh, saintly enough to attempt to share that with others. He saw the hypocrisy of the organized religion of the day, which of course ended up in his uh, probably his death. But in the same way that that uh, Mansur el Halaj or any any number of uh, illuminated masters of of other cultures uh, usually end up getting themselves assassinated or killed or executed, mm. and um, so the it, this may sound blasphemous for me to say, but in in a sense, I think the 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 heart of the spiritual message of Jesus and uh, that of Aleister Crowley. It's pretty much the same damn thing. I really like that. I I don't know. Maybe I'm a blasphemer as well. But I've always been interested in the way that all these different traditions connect. It's interesting, though, to me that Jesus has become the Lord and Savior for centuries and centuries of, like, the entire Western civilization. (laughs) I feel like it's his message has been heavily laid over with mythology other mythologies from other cultures, but then most importantly, weaponized against people. And I feel that that's because it's easier to control people when they're afraid. Oh, absolutely. And and most mass religions are just a a simple form of political crowd control. Yes. You know, in a way that's, that's uh, it's monstrous and it's terrible and it's despicable, but it's, uh, people don't like to actually uh, think very much. And people that don't think very much can be unpredictable and dangerous. And so the idea that the masses of the world's population need to be controlled somehow or other just for <laughs> just for safety purposes, you can see how it how it uh, how it works out. 
the idea, though, that if you actually get serious about your, your own illumination or your own enlightenment, it doesn't take long for you to see the universality in, in uh, all the great spiritual teachers of the past. And, and what, uh, when you put it in, in context that, gee, if my brain was that expanded, I'd be pretty much saying the same thing in my own way. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think when I'm reading Accidental Christ, I feel sincerity in the book. That's why that opening that I read about, like, I know this is probably offensive, but I'm actually not trying to offend you. It felt, when I'm reading it, it feels like there's a thread of sincerity throughout. And you're a very humorous person, which is actually partly why I really enjoy your music. But also always kind of this warmth and sincerity, like mixed in and a desire to impart some kind of wisdom at the same time. Does that feel true to you? Oh, God, yes. You know, I I was raised uh, uh, Methodist. Oh, that was my next question. I, I was raised Methodist, and I've only just recently resigned from the, the, the Methodist Church, officially res, resigned. Uh, it's not that I'd been active in the Methodist, you know, for yeah. <laughs> 50 years, but I was still officially a, a Methodist on a personal level, not on a doctrinal level, but just on a personal level. You know, I've always, I've always figured it's... It, it's my job to to find God. <laughs> if that, okay, and um, even if I have to find Him in the mirror. Yeah. Do you think that's a human thing that we're all looking for that, or that that's a product of being raised in the church? No, I think it's. I think we're all hardwired for that. I because I think that's who we are. Yes. Okay, we've forgotten who we are, and we're all trying to remember. <laughs> and. Uh, and some of us are more serious about it, or and more focused in our in our uh, search than than others. But we're we're all there because that's who we are. And sooner or later, we're all going to wake up and discover we've been each other all along. But until that time, we have to struggle along as if we are somehow a monad among other monads. So, so you believe that all is one ultimately? Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's all one consciousness. Yes. Too. Yeah. And so what the ego then is our individual expression of that? Right. And we, we, we've given form to the, I like to use the word monad because it's like, a, it's like we're not just a cell in a big body. We are a cell that is the great body. And uh, it's just a matter of, of waking up through layers of layers of illusion that we're somehow separate, that we're somehow separate. Ultimately, you and me talking right now is just you and me talking to ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know that sounds all zenny and... and uh, oh, you're talking to the right crowd, though. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually, there is something that I personally struggle with that I would be interested to get your opinion on because, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit because I wanted to ask you in more depth about the OTO and Aleister Crowley and Thelema and all of that, but I'm interested in this idea of my will 
versus thy will or the little will and the true will. And I, I kind of go back and forth with these things about like surrendering to a higher power, but then also believing that God can only do for me what it can do through me. And my will is God's will. Like I get very (laughs) twisted around and the deeper I dig, the deeper I go, the less I know, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's probably just easier to wrap our meat brains around the, the concept that, uh, if we truly knew what our will was, then we would realize it is one in the same with what we used to think God's will was. It's the it's the the, the same thing, but we have to have to discover what ours is, and that's that's the Crowley's kind of message. He, he's he's more or less saying that that. Uh, human consciousness has developed to the state where we can now see that it is much more efficient for us to come to the realization of our own will and then the illumination that comes from knowing who and what we are and what we are here Uh, to do that only we can do, once we discover that, then the light bulb goes off and said, oh, that's what God's will is. God's will is is for me, uh, is, is my will discovered. So that would be different than it is my will to go in the kitchen and stuff my face full of cake right now? Because I want to do that? Or is, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do people differentiate between the willfulness of their daily urges and this idea of like maybe a soul's purpose might be another way to say it. Right. And, and so that's, I'm sure the Chinese have 27,000 different ways to, to, to shade that meaning. But with English, we're kind of stuck with um, one word will that is confused with, well, it's, it's my will to have that fourth donut or it's my will to have that seventh martini and mixing that up with, gee, I, I crave, <laughs> I crave that. I lust for it. I desire for it. Uh, even the will, the word Thelema, which Crowley uses, or it, it's probably pronounced Telema. Oh, excuse me. Well, I don't pronounce it that way because I learned it Thelema and I'm just a lazy old man. I've never heard someone say it that way. It's hard for me to make the crossover once I've been corrected. Yeah, don't let's don't even try. Okay. Uh, the word and it's translated will. Okay, it's the Greek word for will. But there's several other Greek words that are more commonly used. When you're saying, well, it's it's my will to uh, uh, get this job or it's my will to do to uh, do something willful, you know, using willpower kind of way of looking at it. But there's another one. And that's what Thelema or Thelema is uh, used exclusively for. And that is more akin to what we call. In in the like new age lingo, intent, uh, but big intent. Okay, intent that is a focus 
that has behind it the entire momentum of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, in New Age lectures and stuff, the, the power of intent and, and uh, everything that's ever been created first started with, with somebody's intention, you know, it's more like that. And that word, thelema, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And that word thelema is used only twice in the, in the New Testament. One where it says where Jesus was on Gethsemane and he was praying uh, in the garden the night before his execution or his arrest. And he's quoted as saying, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Then he goes on to say, nevertheless, thy will, not mine, be done. The word thelema was used in both of those cases Mm. and nowhere else. So it's connected to what, to the same current of momentum that the supreme intelligence or the supreme power of the universe, the supreme will of, of uh, God, how it aligns and s- synchronizes to your own. And that's the will of do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Uh, love is the law, love under will. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, that see that starts throwing me too. Uh, first of all, I just choose personally. I'm not saying God is love, but I'm saying my God is love because when I come from that place, I make better decisions. In a nutshell, that's why <laughs> my life feels better. I'm a happier person. I'm a nicer person, and so that's just a choice that I've made. But that line, like "Do what thou wilt," is the whole of the law, except you know. And then, and then there's that little amendment afterward. And I'm it, sometimes I have the feeling I love magic. I love setting an intention, but at the same time, I think, what's the point if there's a greater t- intention that already exists? Does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of related to what I was saying about thy will, like surrendering to the will of this greater God kind of thing, as opposed to my own will is I want to manifest this experience and I'm going to throw everything I have at it emotionally, mentally, energetically, spiritually, everything I've got. They don't have to oppose each other. As a matter of fact, the, the, the idea of divorcing yourself from any concept that you feel you need to surrender to, uh, completely short circuits that whole thing, and that's that's, uh, I guess that's the fool trap that Paul caught everybody in, where uh, God is outside yourself. God is yes. something that you need to petition. Right, and it, it, oddly enough, that that was never really part of the part of the drill even in mainstream Judaism Paul screwed up uh, <laughs> screwed up Judaism too but it uh, but anyway okay uh, and that's something also that you've written you've written quite a few books I was gonna read them all like the titles of them I'm like there are too many to, to sit here and list but you've written a lot about Crowley tarot Kabbalah and Kabbalah, that is, is that not Jewish mysticism, or am I misunderstanding? 
Well, yeah, the the Hebrew uh, Kabbalah actually it's a it's a spiritual it's it's a way of thinking rather than a you know a cult or a sect or of anything. But it was it, uh, practiced for years by the Greeks and the the Jewish mystics started to uh, started to pick up on it and they, they applied it to their alphabet and that's more or less come down to uh, western civilization through the what the what the uh, Jews did with the with the Kabbalah and the Hebrew Kabbalah literally forms a foundation upon which the entire hermetic arts that we know it are constructed like uh, you know ceremonial magic and astrology and geomancy and uh, uh, phrenology and palmistry, all the ologies, uh, all the all the ologies, including and most especially tarot, because of all those systems, tarot is the most perfect representation of the of Kabbalistic fundamentals, and and that's great because it's so colorful and it's fun, and you can put it in your pocket, and uh, uh, you can play with it and divine with it and everything else. But tarot really is the common denominator uh, between all the various hermetic art forms, and it's tarot is like the DNA of the Kabbalah. To me, it's much more accessible. You can give it to a child, and I feel like they can receive something from it. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, the, the, the child is probably better attuned to all, to all of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> than you and me are. But if we properly uh, could learn to decode the tarot, which isn't hard. I've written a few goofy books on how to painlessly decode it, you know. We could see that it reveals the, the secrets of the Kabbalah. And if we learn the tarot, we're simultaneously, I mean, right along with it, we're, uh, we're learning the mysteries of uh, the other Kabbalah-based systems. Mm-hmm. You learn the tarot. As you're learning the tarot, you're learning the fundamentals of uh, astrology. You're learning the fundamentals of ceremonial magic. You're, uh, of course, you're learning the fundamentals of Kabbalah. And that gets you thinking, observing, processing all information in your life in a different way than you processed before you sort of, um, uh, in a good way, mutated yourself, mutated your consciousness with the organization system of of the Kabbalah. This is probably a good time to mention that you have a new tarot deck coming out, right? Yes. And well, you already have one. Tarot of Ceremonial Magic is a deck that you per, you put you did the art for that? I di- I did the line drawings and my wife did the coloring of the of the images and uh, she uh, followed the strict I mean strict cabalistic scale of colors uh, represented by each one of the uh, the cards, because they carry with them all of these Kabbalistic uh, associations that have their own specific colors. And uh, so we, we created this deck back in, gee, I guess, 1993. Well, we started it probably in 85. Wow. Uh, this is your high school sweetheart, too, right? Yes, we've been married 51 years. Oh, I love it. Constance Jean Duquette. You have, right. you have to give her credit. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I was looking at images of it, and I was like, wow, I find it intimidating, I'll be honest, because there, there's a lot of hermetic symbolism built in. It's a pictorial synthesis of the great, the three great pillars of magic, which is very tempting, too. Like, I want to learn the three great pillars of magic. <laughs> and well, it, it seems like maybe I could with this deck. Oh, yeah, and uh, it was originally published by U.S. Games, Back in 1993, and it went through two two uh, two printings, and uh, over the years, and then they let it go out of print. They figured they probably got enough <laughs> what they're going to get out of it, and uh, it's uh, been subsequently published in a limited edition by by uh, a friend of mine since then. But it's been out of print for about five years, and it's really expensive if you go to eBay and things like that. So, But uh, just recently, a friend of mine, an acquaintance in uh, Omaha, and he, he runs the Next Millennium Distributing, and uh, a lot of your witchcraft products and stuff all go through through that. He's reprinting a new edition, and it should be available in just a couple weeks here. Oh, it's and- the same deck, but a new edition or is there an additional yeah. deck no no it's a, it's the same deck okay uh, okay the the demand for the old deck was was such that we do want to keep the thing in print and uh, but uh, wiser ever since 1993 wiser has had the the full book that describes the cards and and uh, makes everything unintimidating. That book's been uh, continuously in print since 1993, and that's by Weiser. Mm-hmm. So is this in the tradition of the Thoth Tarot or Rider Waite or your own, like, where, because you're saying you wanted to be very adherent to the Kabbalah symbolism, and is this a complete invention of your own making based on the Kabbalah, or is it based on one of these other styles? The weight deck was was based sort of on an exoteric Kabbalistic foundation. The Thoth deck, Crowley's Thoth deck, was based on that on Kabbalah too. Only it it actually revealed overtly uh, the Kabbalistic uh, secrets of the tarot that the weight deck had concealed. And my deck is based on the Golden Dawn's, the Golden Dawn's basic structure of the tarot. And Crowley's, Crowley tweaked the, a couple of Kabbalistic things about uh, attributing a couple Hebrew letters are switched around and stuff. And tarot ceremonial magic is just a basic sort of lawns. Lon's version of the the classic Golden Dawn Hermetic Tarot, with a couple of tweaks in the same way that that Crowley did. Mm. But I actually put an images and aspects of the uh, Enochian magic of Dr. John D. and Edward Kelly, the Goetic spirits that are assigned to each of those cards, or the Solomonic spirits and um, dates and degrees of uh, the astrological periods that each card represents. I just write it out right on the deck. Yeah, I and- like that. I was looking at the imagery. I like that there's there's the image of you know what that card might be, but then kind of along the bottom, there's this these 
other symbols built in. I think that's what you're talking about. Right. And they're, and they're built in just, you know, I made no big attempt to, uh, you know, artistically embed them someplace. I just put them right on the deck. They're like flashcards of three kinds of magic. You can build an entire Enochian magic elemental set of, of temple and furniture with a tarot deck. I, I do it all the time in hotel rooms. I just get the cards out and make myself my magic circle. I make my, my Enochian set up. I uh, use the, the, the sigils of the Goetian spirits to evoke spirits. There's the Kabbalistic angels of the Shemhamferish. You know, everything that's organized along Kabbalistic lines, because each of, each of these small cards, court cards, greater arcana, have a place in the Kabbalistic universe. And I just put that information on the card. I didn't even want to make a tarot deck. I just wanted flashcards for my Monday night magic class. And it just it just developed uh, into an obsessive project. Yeah, it's, you're actually selling at me on it right now, though, because I would I, the part where it says a pictorial pictorial synthesis of the three great pillars of magic. Like, what are the three great pillars of magic in a nutshell? Can you no. can you say that in a nutshell? <laughs> Astrology, Solomonic magic or Goetia, okay, and, and um, well, Eno- Enochian magic. And then what is Enochian magic? Oh boy! I, <laughs> I have to ask. Okay, Queen Elizabeth the first. We're going back to John D. Right now, yes. Yeah, we're going back to John D. <laughs> She had, uh, you know, had a lot of trouble coming to the throne. It was her father was, you know, Henry VIII. And a lot of, it was almost a miracle that she came to the throne. Well, one of the people that helped her come to the throne, at least moral support, was her astrologer. And that was a guy named John Dee. And John Dee was also the smartest guy in England at the time. He was an inventor. He was a mathematician. He had written one of the most, uh, the most famous mathematical books of the time. He was a mathematical rock star. Okay. Okay. And he was a genius and knew uh, every, uh, could speak fluently every European language. He would go lecture in in European countries. Uh, He was, his book was so famous. It was translated, still taught today on uh, commentaries on the propositions of Euclid. He was a rock star. He would go speak, and they would throw their mathematical panties at the stage. <laughs> and uh, he was also, uh, he believed in Elizabeth, and he had done her chart and figured that this gal's going to be queen if uh, we can play our cards right. And sure enough, she, she did become queen, and he became one of her uh, closest counselors. And uh, because he could speak so many languages and he could travel all around Europe and everybody welcomed him into their courts and everything else, he became the perfect candidate to be a spy for Elizabeth. And that's what he did. He signed his secret dispatches back to Elizabeth as the queen's eyes. And the little code was two zeros for the eyes and a seven over the top. Uh, And the side, like like your hand shading your eyes, Mm. he 
he was 007. He was the original 007. Oh, that would make a good tattoo for all you tattoo enthusiasts listening right now. Yeah, well, there's copies of his signature using that uh, that that glyph uh, available if they want the image. But anyway, he got tired of uh, actually having to go to Europe to spy for Elizabeth that he thought he wanted to remote view. He wanted to magically remote view and eavesdrop on the courts of Europe. And because people in those days had a, a literal belief in the Bible, even guys as smart as John Dee, he figured, well, if, if Moses could do it, if Esdras could do it, if, if all of these other people in the Bible could do it, they're idiots compared to me, I can do it, okay? And so he set to work to magically eavesdrop on the courts of Europe to spy for Elizabeth. And he went about it in a very scientific way, took copious records, and uh, he would hire clairvoyants to, uh, uh, to help him. And the, the technique in that day was just to, to build a, uh, a room, a room of your house and turn it into a temple and you know, uh, wash it all up and purify it and everything else. Then uh, set everything up wear some clean clothes, take a bath, wear some clean clothes, walk in, drop on your knees, and pray for about two hours until you had sort of a little uh, nervous breakdown. And when you have that nervous breakdown, you're capable of talking to God. And that was the technique in those days. Well, he was really good at writing those two-hour prayers, but he was lousy at the nervous breakdown. Mm. So he would hire nervous breakdown people, clairvoyants, that could get into that state of consciousness. And so he finally uh, got a hold of a guy, and they really connected together. They really, really clicked. And that guy was called Edward Kelly. And for three years, they plunged into a black obsidian mirror and talked with angels. And the idea that this political uh, adventure that he started on turned into a spiritual adventure because the angels he talked to, he'd ask them a question like, well, will my, uh, will my friend Prince Rupert in Poland ever become king of Poland? And the angels more or less answered back, well, you know, we can answer that, but you have to know how we as angels think of what Poland is or what the surface of the earth is or what the king is. We're angels. We think in terms of, we don't think in those terms. You have to think like an angel and we'll show you how. So in other words, you have to know how the universe works. Otherwise, our answers won't make any sense to you. And so for three years, <laughs> these guys systematically set up a, uh, a program of accessing the, the intelligences. The, you can look at it strictly scientific. The, the portions of the universal consciousness that rule or control or express any level of existence. It's 
truly, truly amazing. And of course, I can't ex- explain it to you uh, properly. Uh, Do you have a book that you can recommend to people who are listening right now going, tell me more, tell me more? Have you written a book? You've written books on this subject. I know you have. Yeah. And I would be a poor salesman if I didn't plug my book. And it's called Enochian Vision Magic. Okay. So and let's all write that down. <laughs> so anyway, that material or a certain certain portion of the Enochian uh, uh, system fits perfectly into this Kabbalistic mold and has its place on tarot cards. Nice. I love how it all comes together. It's very interesting to me. You seem to have like your pet subjects, I would say, that you write and talk about a lot. But how do I say this? You seem very joyful and lighthearted to me. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's that's how you feel to me. And it's interesting that all of these subjects are also seeming to me to be very intellectual. Like it's a lot, it's a lot of ancient old words to try to remember and things to connect and how do those two things feed each other like you just enjoy playing around in that world well yeah if it wasn't fun i wouldn't do it okay i would once i get uh, interested in it it becomes play mm-hmm. and uh i guess i haven't grown up okay i like uh, it's Playfulness, it's joyous. Uh, that's uh, and if your spiritual interests don't don't expand your mind in joy, then find something that does. I actually think that's much harder for many people than it sounds. Oh sure. What do you mean? Enjoy myself. This is very serious business. <laughs> And again, like I can keep bringing this back to your music. I'll tell you why. I my one of my first writers that I was aware of him, like as a name, as a person, and I was very intrigued with him when I was a kid was Shel Silverstein. Oh boy. I just loved him. When I found your music, I had this a similar feeling in my 40s. I'm going, this is giving me the same feeling I had as a kid when I just delighted over those Shel Silverstein books. Oh, you couldn't! You couldn't make me happier. Oh, than, good. Thank you. you. Yes, he was my hero too. Really? Oh, I love it! I love it. Did, I, you must have gotten to meet him because you you are in the Los Angeles area, right? Yeah, I never I never got a chance to to meet him. Oh uh, my goodness! I feel like you guys would love each other. Oh, I'm sure. But I was uh, I always snuck snuck a peek at Playboys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he was—he was always. Uh, he wrote a lot of articles in Playboy too. Yeah, he wrote songs. He—he he was a really interesting. I was just went to Nashville last year, and I was thrilled that the Country Music Hall of Fame—I think it was—they had a little Shel Silverstein. I saw. I was, there, I was there this year too, and I saw that. Yeah. I loved it. I—I I, I think he was. I think he was magical. I don't know if he cared about magic, but there was something magical about him to me. Well, I think the, the the world's best magicians don't uh, know that uh, what they do and what they are is magic. And it doesn't matter if they do or don't. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think they're just busy doing it. Whereas, I, I don't know, for myself and a lot of the people that listen to this show, I think we are spending a lot of time 
trying to overcome ourselves, if that makes sense, like undoing all the weird kind of programming, for lack of a better word, that we received as kids, all these fears that are put in place. Whereas these other people, they just kind of like zoom past. They're just doing it, you know, speaking of, right. of your will, like they're just riding the disc of their will into the great unknown and having a great time. Whereas I, I feel more myself. I have to make an effort. Well, not that I have to, but I do because I have all of these strange, like quirks of fear standing in my way. Yeah. Well, that's, but you know, part of your job to, uh, to deal with that. And, uh, they're there for a reason. That's part of your growth. Well, I guess that brings us around to Aleister Crowley, who purposely scared people. I feel like that he really intrigues me. I love his definition of magic, that magic is cha- creating change in conformity with your will. It's very simple. I understand that and I like it. I think he's a really interesting person. But all of the imagery intentionally creating this facade is the beast I I know he did it on purpose. I know he did it for a reason. But there's a part of me that wishes that he was just a little more Mr. Rogersy, so <laughs> he was more accessible, <laughs> which I know he would hate. Well, maybe so. I, uh, you, you know, if he was born uh, even 60 years later, uh, we wouldn't be freaked out uh, as as much. Uh, about about his style, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he would be a rock star right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, at at first, you're shocked that that he uses uh, imagery and and terminology like that. Then you realize that he had just an insanely bizarre and fun sense of humor. Then you, when you know more, then you realize that he was being absolutely serious about all of this imagery and stuff, but that it's a good thing, <laughs> you know? It's like the... A rite of initiation. If you can pass this test, we can be friends. There you go. And and uh, it's like, uh, uh, if I can freak you out with this, you're too freak outable to, to handle what your mind expansion is going to uh, throw in your in your face. And, um, you know, I was a kind of a yogi in my hippie days. We were, we were into yoga and, um, uh, Eastern mysticism. And, um, uh, you know, the, the concept of Shiva and Shakti, uh, sort of like the huge, huge universal principles of, of, uh, projection and, and, uh, assumption male and female on a cosmic level mm-hmm. and uh later on when i get uh, into the hebrew kabbalah there's this uh, diagram called the tree of life and the tree of life are these 10 circles you know that are connected with with uh, 22 paths but the first three the first upright triangle of these circles it's called the supernal triad and uh, it takes place at a level of consciousness that is higher than uh, manifest reality. It's sort of like the, the 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 nest out of which reality will be will will hatch. You know. 
Mm. And uh, the number one is the singularity of, of all consciousness. And number two isn't really a number two. It's, it's because there can't be a number two because number one is everything. So what we think of as number two is really just a reflection of number one. So the concept of two is really abstract, being only the reflection of one. And the concept of three is still really abstract, because there is no three per se as we think of of a number. Three is just simply the knowledge that there's a difference between number one and what we think of as number two. So it's number one, it's reflection. Number three is the knowledge that the reflection and the uh, singularity aren't one. It's so abstract. It's so Zen. And it's way up on the tree of life, you know, before there are planetary spheres, as we think of, or elements. or There's no creation yet. It's just the idea behind what will be creation. And that number two and that number three are Shiva and Shakti. Okay. And number and Crowley used the iconography because he was so influenced by Christianity when he was or traumatized. <laughs> maybe we'll I can say. relate to that. Yes. By Christianity, it got into him, and he said, "Oh my gosh, I'm seeing these universal concepts." in the the mystical revelation of John. Oh, Babylon and the beast are Shiva and Shakti. Or in that order, it'd be Shakti and Shiva. Oh my God, Hokma and Bina on the tree of life are Shiva and Shakti and the beast and Babylon. Okay, so Crowley's whole thing is, if I can freak you out, with with calling uh, Hokma and Bina the beast in Babylon, or if I can freak you out by calling Shiva and Shakti the beast in Babylon, yeah. <laughs> then you're too freak outable for for me to mess with. Okay. Yeah, even just explaining the tree of life, I feel like you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, and you have to be comfortable with paradox, at least. A small bit to just sit with it and be like, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> You're all right. Right. And so the, uh, that's that's what I that's what I mean. Uh, Crowley did have a sense of humor and he enjoyed freaking out the freak outable. But there's always something very, very holy, very sacred, very profound, even behind those jokes. Interesting, because I always thought he's just a master at publicity. Well, he tried to be that, too. He was uh, 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 he worked for British intelligence as kind of like a disinformation uh, operative for years, right up till his death. So uh, he he was good at manipulating media and and things like that. Yeah, I think there's a relationship between occultism, spirituality, psychology, marketing, (laughs) Uh, propaganda, you start to understand. It was kind of like what you're saying about understanding Tarot, you're learning about Kabbalah, you're learning about astrology. I feel that way when you even just 
pick up a copy of Edward Bernays' book, Propaganda, you actually start learning about yeah. all of these things. Yeah. Because, they, because they all deal with human consciousness. Mm-hmm. And um, have you seen the, the series uh, Mad Men? Yes. I loved it. Those Madison Avenue guys, okay, are are magically manipulating. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. It was a magnificent uh, example of how human consciousness can, can, is, and continues to be uh, uh, manipulated. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable to to see that, then you're beginning to wake up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually enjoy watching commercials for. The, I just like to watch how it's done. I there's something perverse about it to me, but also intriguing. <laughs> like wow, yeah. especially yeah. children's. Uh, like if you watch Nickelodeon and you watch the commercials, the way they sell kids things that will eventually kill them. <laughs> eat right. this, eat this shiny piece of plastic with this happy song, and it's like, wow, it's so psychedelic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Well, do you mind if I share a couple of questions that a couple of people wanted to ask you? I kind of no. I, I was I was running through the hall saying, "Hey, I'm going to interview Lon Milo Duquette. Anybody have any questions?" <laughs> I got a couple. Mostly, I just got, "Oh my gosh, I love him." That that was the general consensus. So, oh my gosh, they love you. And then there were some mentions of other books because I was talking about Accidental Christ. Lynn Ruiz wanted to know if you had read the book Lamb by Christopher Moore. Oh, of course. I love Lamb. I'm, that's going to have to be next on my list. I didn't realize. Is this a genre? <laughs> I just love it. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad I asked because it looked really interesting. I, I Googled it after she asked that. Monica Stark, she says she's a big fan. She loves you. Your book on both tarot is the only one she ever recommends. Um, she mentions a bunch of other books you love. Book of Ordinary Oracle, or she loves the viewers. Book of Ordinary Oracles, Homemade Magic. That's one that's on my list for sure. And she says, I enjoy his sense of humor. Too many books on Western Hermeticism and Kabbalah can come off as really dry, but his writing is so entertaining. Oh, bless your heart. I know. So I guess we, that's what I, I asked for questions and I just got a bunch of love. <laughs> so I do have one official question here, multiple questions from Sarah Jackson on Twitter. She said, I would love to hear about his class on the Western magical tradition. Does he still teach it? Who are his students? <laughs> and what kind of things does he cover? Okay. Yeah, I did. Well, I've got a, uh, you know, a, a whole collection of presentations and stuff that I that I can do. And for for a couple of years, I taught at the Omega Institute in Rhineck, New York, upstate New York. And um, I set up this thing called the Western Hermetic uh, Method or something like that. Yes, in in a sense, I that's everything I teach now is still an extension extension of that. But as far as real life classes go. For 41 years, or uh, Constance and I have opened our house every Monday night, or for a few years it was a Thursday, to give a free class on magic. It's called Monday Night Magic Class, and uh, we cover all sorts of uh, all sorts of different subjects. Right now, you're doing this. 
right now, and we've never stopped. Wow. This is in Long Beach? This is in Costa Mesa, California. You're not worried about riffraff just wandering in? and So far, there's been some kind of spiritual membrane that has, mm. uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I don't go out of our way because it's in our home. It's just mostly word of mouth. There's about 25 people come, and we have a tiny, tiny, tiny living room, and they're sitting up on the stairs to the loft, and they're sitting up in the loft. But anyway, yes, we do that. Secondly, I have just uh, uh, finished, for two years I went back and forth to Beijing, China, uh, to teach Kabbalah. And uh, I set up a three-degree Kabbalah initiation, sort of a goofy, fun, formal but informal uh, initiatory society to teach three degrees of, of Kabbalah. And uh, when I uh, got back home, I turned that material into a book. And that book has just been uh, released back in November called Son of Chicken Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason I'm talking about this in response to that question is if you are motivated enough, you can get together with a couple of friends in your living room and use the script to every one of those initiation ceremonies and the study packet included in every one of those, uh, alongside every one of those degrees, and start your own little uh, initiatory society just using that book as your, uh, as your script and your source material for the meditations, uh, the practices, and um, at the end of nine months, you'll be masters of the Hebrew alphabet. That is very cool. Start your own club. And if you're on Facebook, you can go to, um, there's a page. Uh, we did this up in uh, Sacramento in December and did 25 people. Full weekend event at a, at a, at a hotel. We stayed at the hotel, initiated all day long. I uh, lectured all night long <laughs> for three straight days, and um, we jokingly call it the Zuru Babel Institute of Philosophical Youth. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just called Zippy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And uh, if you want to see more about what a what a zippy temple could be like if in your own neighborhood, just just get the book and do it yourself. <laughs> you know, you don't need me. Start your own zippy temple. Yes. Yes. Says the longest living member of the OTO. Right. <laughs> yes, I did not get to get into all that or your career as a musician, which. You had a career as a musician, and you, I think, still play. Yes. Yeah, I really enjoy that. And I feel like you are walking your talk, that you found your true will, and that that's evident in the joy you clearly have in sharing and teaching and writing and singing about all of the stuff that we talked about here today. Well, I would li- I would like to I would like to think so and uh, I just keep doing what I keep doing I guess. Yeah, I really appreciate you not being condescending as well. Like speaking to someone who does not have that 
breadth of knowledge and is just curious, you just come at it so playfully and, and you're happy to answer questions. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So I always end these interviews with one question and you can answer it however you want. It doesn't have to be the end all be all, just whatever first pops into your mind. What is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Oh, gee, uh, just do what gives you the greatest satisfying pleasure at any given moment and try to determine from moment to moment what is the only thing that you can do. I've lived, I'm 70, I'll be 71 in July. I've never had what anybody would, would think of as a goal in life except to be happy. I've never made plans. I've never thought or planned strategically. I've never set goals. <laughs> I'm a bum, okay? And so prolific, the most, pro, like, such an awesome body of work. You're a follow-your-bliss kind of guy. A follow-your-bliss uh, uh, kind of guy and not even think about what you're, that you're following your bliss. You're, you slow yourself down if you stop to think about it too much. But each of us are here or we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here sucking breath in and out and, and talking to each other. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be alive. We wouldn't be conscious. We wouldn't be self-aware if there wasn't something in the cosmos that needs to be done that only we can do. If we would do that, if we'd get that done, we wouldn't even need to be here. Mm. But if we're still here, obviously, there's something that needs to be done that only we can do. And the shortest cut, the shortest shortcut to finding that is to follow what gives you joy. I love that answer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And can you, you want to give everybody your URL? I will definitely link to your website, but just for people listening and driving, if they want to look it up later. Oh, uh, yeah. My big thing is my Facebook page. And if you're not on Facebook, just go to, uh, just Google me on Amazon. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> If you'd like to have my equivalent of what a blog is, go to my Facebook page. Okay. Lon Milo Duquette. Okay. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Yeah, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. So how great was that? Pretty great, right? And how in love are you currently with Lon Milo Duquette? <laughs> Don't you just love him? I think he's so wonderful. And... And I'm not done, because I still have to play his song, I'm Babylon. But before I can do that, I have to wish you a super beautiful, extra magical spring or fall, whichever, whichever hemisphere you're hanging out in. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.
am a man like any man with feet of clay and cheeks of tan. But when I wrap my turban on, the gods are near I'm Babylon. I eat too much, I drink too much A greedy selfie, such and such But when I wrap my turban on My mind is clear, I'm Babylon A lazy cow in vain on when I should stay silent But when I wrap my turban on all bets are off I'm Babylon I have no fear I'm Babylon Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.